Chapter thirty six of Trail of the Hawk. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Vendetti. MikeVendetti.com. Trail of the Hawk by Sinclair Lewis. Chapter thirty six. There were, as Ruth had remarked, families. When Carl was formally invited to dine at the Winslows on a night late in April, his only anxiety was as to the condition of his dinner coat. He arrived in a state of easy briskness planning apt and sensible remarks about the business situation for Mason and Mr. Winslow. As the maid opened the door, Carl was wondering if he would be able to touch Ruth's hand under the table. He had an anticipatory fondness for all of the small friendly family group, which was about to receive him, and he was cast into a den of strangers, most of them comprised in the one eclectic person of Aunt Emma Trugate Winslow. Aunt Emma Trugate Winslow was the general commanding in whatsoever group she was placed in by Providence, with which she had a strong influence. At a White House reception, she would pleasantly but firmly have sent the President about his business, and have taken his place in the receiving line. Just now she sat in a prehistoric S-chair, near the center of the drawing-room, pumping out of Phil Donnelly most of the facts about his chief's private lives. Aunt Emma had the soul of a six-foot dowager duchess, and should have had an eagle nose and a white pompadour. Actually, she was of medium height, with a not unduly maternal bosom, a broad commonplace face, hair the color of faded grass, a blunt nose with slightly enlarged pores, and thin lips that seemed to be a straight line when seen from in front, but seen in profile, puffed out like a fish's. She had a habit of nodding intelligently even when she was not listening, and another habit of rubbing her left knuckles with the fingers of her right hand. Not imposing in appearance was Aunt Emma Trugate Winslow, but she was born to discipline a court. An impeccable widow was she, speaking with a broad A, and dressed exquisitely in a black satin evening gown. By such simple-hearted traits as being always right about unimportant matters and idealistic wrong about important matters, politely intruding into everything, being earnest about the morality of the poor and auction bridge and the chaperoning of nice girls, possessing a working knowledge of Wagner and Roden, wearing fifteen-dollar corsets, and believing on her bended knees that the Trugates and Winslows were the noblest families in the social register. Aunt Emma Trugate Winslow, had persuaded the whole world, including even her near-English butler, that she was a superior woman. Family tradition said that she had only to raise a finger to get into really smart society. Upon the death of Ruth's mother, Aunt Emma had taken it as one of her duties, along with sympathy concerts and committees, to rear Ruth properly. She had been neglecting this duty so far to permit the invasion of a barbarian named Erickson only because she had been in California with her young son, Arthur. Just now, while her house was being opened, she was staying at the Winslows, with Arthur and a peculiarly beastie Japanese spaniel named Takasan. She was introduced at Carl. She glanced him over and passed him on to Olive Donnelly, all in forty-five seconds, when Carl had recovered from a sensation of being a kitten drowned in a sack he said agreeable things to Olive, and observed the situation in the drawing-room. 
Phil was marked out for Aunt Emma's favors. Mr. Winslow sat in a corner, apparently crushed with restorative conversation administered by Ruth. Mason Winslow was haughtingly attentive to a plain, well-dressed, amiable girl named Florence Cruden, who had prematurely gray hair, the weekend habit, and a weakness for baby talk. Ruth's medical student brother, Bobby Winslow, was not there. The more he saw of Bobby's kind Aunt Emma, the more Carl could find it in his heart to excuse Bobby for having escaped the family dinner. Carl had an uncomfortable moment when Aunt Emma and Mr. Winslow asked him questions about the development of the Turricar, but before he could determine whether he was being deliberately inspected by the family, the ordeal was over. As they went into dinner, Mr. Winslow, taking in Aunt Emma like a small boy accompanying the school principal, Ruth had the chance to whisper, "'My hawk, be good. Please believe I'm not responsible. It's all Aunt Emma's doing this dreadfully stately family dinner. Don't let her bully you. I'm frightened to death, and—yes, Phil, I'm coming.' The warning did not seem justified in view of the attractive table. Candles, cut glass, a mound of flowers on a beveled mirror, silvery linen, and grapefruit with champagne. Carl was on one side of Aunt Emma, but she seemed more interested in Mr. Winslow at the end of the table, and on the other side Carl had a safe companion in Olive Dunlavy. Across from him was Florence Crowden, Phil, and Ruth, Ruth shimmering in a gown of yellow satin which broke the curve of her fine-flushed shoulder only by a narrow band. The conversation played with people. Florence Crowden told to applause and laughter of an exploratory visit to the College of the City of New York, and her discovery of a strange race, young Jews mostly who went to college to study, and had no sense of the nobility of making fraternities. Such outsiders, she said. Can't you imagine the sort of a party they'd have? They'd all stand around and discuss psychology and dissecting puppies and Greek roots. Phil, I think it would be a lovely punishment for you to have to join them, to work in a laboratory all day and wear a celluloid collar. Ah, I know their sort. Greasy grinds, we used to call them. There were plenty of them in Yale, condescended Phil. Maybe they do wear celluloid collars, if they do, because they're poor, protested Ruth. "'My dear child,' sniffed Aunt Emma, "'with collars only twenty-five cents apiece. "'Don't be silly.' "'Mr. Winslow declared with portly timidity, "'Why, Em, my collars don't cost me but fifteen. "'Mason, dear, let's not discuss it at dinner. "'Tell me, all of you, the scandal I've missed "'by going to California, which reminds me. "'Did I tell you I saw that miserable Amy Baslin? "'You remember?' that married the porter or the superintendent or something in her father's factory. I saw her and her husband at Pasadena, and they seemed to be happy. Of course, Amy would put the best face she could on it, but they must have been miserably unhappy. Such a sad affair. And she could have married quite decently. What do you mean by decently? demanded Ruth. Carl was startled. He had once asked Ruth the same question about the same phrase. Aunt Emma revolved like a gun turret, getting Ruth's range, and remarked calmly, "'My dear child, you know quite well what I mean. Don't, I beg you, bring any socialistic problems to dinner till you have really learned something about them.' 
Now, I want to hear all the nice scandals I have missed. There were not many she had missed, but she kept the conversation sternly to discussions of people whose names Carl had never heard. Again, he was obviously an outsider. Still ignoring Carl, Aunt Emma demanded of Ruth and Phil, sitting together opposite her. "'Tell me about the good times you children have been having, Ruthie, and I'm so glad that Phil and you finally went to the William Turingers, and your letter about the Beaux Arts Festival was charming, Ruthie. I quite envied you and Phil.' The dragon continued talking to Ruth while Carl listened in the intricacies of his chatter to Olive. "'I hope you haven't been giving all your time and beauty sleep "'doing too much of that settlement work, Ruthie, "'and heaven only knows what germs you will get there. "'Of course, I should be first to praise any work "'for the poor, ungrateful, and shiftless though they are. "'What with my committees in the Trugate Temperance Home "'for young working girls, "'it's all very well to be sympathetic with them, but—' When it comes to a settlement house, and heaven knows, I have given them all the counsel and suggestions I could, though some of the professional settlement workers are as pert as they can be, and I really do believe some of them think they are trying to end poverty entirely, just as though the Lord would have sent poverty into the world if he didn't have a pretty good reason for it. You will remember the Bible says— the poor you always have with you, and, as Florence Barclay says in her novels, which may seem a little sentimental, but they are of such good moral effect, you can't supersede the scriptures even in the most charming social circles. To say nothing of the blessings of poverty, I'm sure they're much happier than we are with our onerous duties. I'm sure that any of these ragamuffin anarchists and socialists and anti-militanists want to take over my committees they are welcome if they'll take over the miserable headaches and worried hours they give me trying to do something for the poor they won't even be clean but even in model tenements they will put coal in bathtubs and so i do hope you haven't just been wearing yourself to the bone working for ungrateful dirty little children ruthie no, Auntie dear, I've been quite as discreet as any Winslow should be. You see, I'm selfish, too, aren't I, Carl? Oh, very. Aunt Emma seemed to remember then that some sort of a man whose species she didn't quite know sat next to her. She glanced at Carl again, gave him up as an error in social judgment, and went on. No, Ruthie, not selfish so much as thoughtless about the duties of a family like ours and I was always the first to say that with the Winslows are as fine a stock as the Trugates, and I am going to see that you go out more the rest of this year, Ruthie. I want you and Phil to plan right now to attend the charity league dances next season. You must learn to concentrate your attention. Auntie dear, please leave my wickedness till the next time we— My dear child— now that I have the chance to get all of us together, I'm sure Mr. Erickson will pardon the rest of us our little family discussion. I want to take you and Master Phil to task together. You are both of you negligent of social duties. Duties they are, Ruthie, for man was not born to serve alone. 
though Phil is far better than you, with your queer habits, and heaven only knows where you got them, neither your father nor your dear sainted mother was slack or selfish. Dear auntie, let's admit that I'm a black sheep with a little black bustle, and a habit of butting all sorts of ash-cans, and let Phil go on his social way rejoicing. Ruth was jaunty, but her face was strained, and she bit her lip with staccato nervousness. When she was not speaking, Carl ventured to face the dragon. "'Miss Winslow, I'm sure Ruth has been better than you think. She has been learning all these fiendishly complicated new dances. You know, a poor businessman like myself finds them.' "'Yes,' said Aunt Emma. I am sure she will always remember that she is a Winslow and must carry on the family traditions, but sometimes I am afraid she gets under bad influences because of her good nature. She said it loudly. She looked Carl in the eye. The whole table stopped talking. Carl felt like a tramp who has kicked a chained bulldog and discovers that the chain is broken. He wanted to be good, not make a scene. He noticed with intent indignation that Phil was grinning. He planned to get Phil off in a corner, not necessarily a dark corner, and beat him. He wanted to telegraph Ruth, dared not. He realized in a quarter of a second that he must have been discussed by the family, and did not like it. Everyone seemed to be waiting for him to speak. Awkwardly he said, wondering all the while if she meant what her tone said she meant, by bad influences. Yes, but just going to say, I believe settlement work is a good influence. Please don't discuss, Ruth was groaning when Aunt Emma sternly interrupted. It is good of you to take up the cudgels, Mr. Erickson, and please don't misjudge me. Of course I realize that I am only a silly old woman, and that my passion to see the Winslows keep to their fine standards is old-fashioned, but you see, it is a hobby of mine that I've devoted years to, and you who haven't known the Winslows so very long. Her manner was almost courteous. Yes, that's so, Carl mumbled agreeably, just as she dropped the courtesy and went on. You can't judge, in fact. This is nothing personal, you know. I don't suppose it's possible for Westerners to have any idea how precious family ideals are to Easterners. Of course, we're probably silly about them, and it's splendid, your wheatlands, and not caring who your grandfather was, but to make up for those things, we do have to protect what we have gained through the generations. Carl longed to stand up, to defy them all, to cry, If you mean that you think Ruth has to be protected against me, have the decency to say so. Yet he kept his voice gentle. But why be narrowed to just a few families in one's interests? Now this settlement... One isn't narrowed. There are plenty of good families for Ruth to consider when it comes time for my little girl to consider alliances at all, Aunt Emma coldly stated. I will shut up, he told himself. I will shut up. I'll see this dinner through and then never come near this house again. He tried to look casual, as though the conversation was safely finished. But Aunt Emma was waiting for him to go on. In the general stillness, her corsets creaked with belligerent attention. He played with his fork in a, well, 
If that's how you feel about it, perhaps it would be better not to discuss it any further. My dear madam, manner growing every second more flushed, embarrassed, sick, angry, trying harder every second to look unconcerned. Aunt Emma hawked a delicate and ladylike hawk in her patrician throat, perfectory to a new attack. Carl knew he would be tempted to retort brutally. Then from the door of the dining-room whippered the high voice of an excited child. "'Oh, Mama! Oh, Cousin Ruthie! Nurse says Hawk Erickson is here! I want to see him!' Everyone turned toward a boy of five or six, round as a baby chicken, in his fuzzy miniature pajamas, protectingly holding a cotton monkey under his arm, sturdy and shy and defiant. "'Why, Arthur! Why, my son! Oh, the darling baby from the table! Come here, Arthur!' "'And let's hear your troubles before Nurse nabs you, old son,' said Phil, not at all condescendingly, rising from the table, holding out his arms. "'Oh, no! Just, just let me go! I want to see Hawk Erickson! Is that Hawk Erickson?' demanded the son of Aunt Emma, pointing at Carl. "'Yes, sweetheart,' said Ruth softly, proudly. Running madly about the end of the table, Arthur jumped at Carl's lap. Carl swung him up and inquired, "'What is it, old man?' "'Are you Hawk Erickson?' "'At your command, Captain.' Aunt Emma rose and said masterfully, "'Come, little son, now you've seen Mr. Erickson. It's up to Betty again, up to Betty.' "'No, no, please no, Mama. I've never seen an aviator before, not in all my life. And you promised me, cross your heart, at Pasadena you did, I could see one.' Arthur's face showed signs of imminent badness. "'Well, you may stay for a while, then,' said Aunt Emma weakly unconscious that her sway had departed from her, while the rest of the table grinned except Carl, who was absorbed in Arthur's ecstasy. "'I'm going to be an aviator, too. I think an aviator is braver than anybody. I'd rather be an aviator than a general or a policeman or anybody. I got a picture of you in my scrapbook. You got a funny hat like Cousin Bobby wears when he plays football in it. Should I get the picture in my scrapbook? Honest. Will you give me another?' Aunt Emma made one more attempt to coax Arthur up to bed, but His Majesty refused, and she compromised by scolding his nurse and sending up for his dressing-gown a small blue dressing-gown on which yellow ducks and white bunny rabbits paraded proudly. "'Like our blue bowl,' Carl commented to Ruth. Not till after coffee in the drawing-room would Arthur consent to go to bed. This real head of the Emma Wilson family— was far too much absorbed in making Carl tell of his long races and why does a flying machine fly? What's a wind pressure? Why does wind shove up? Why is the wings curved? Why does it want to catch the wind? The others listened, including Aunt Emma. Carl went home early. Ruth had the opportunity to confide, Hawk, dear, I can't tell you how ashamed I am of my family for enduring anybody so rude and opinionated as Aunt Emma. But it's all right now, isn't it? No, no, don't kiss me, but dear dreams, Hawk. Phil's voice from behind shouted, Oh, Erickson, just second. Carl was not at all pleased. He remembered that Phil had listened with obvious amusement to his agonized attempt to turn Aunt Emma's attacks, said Phil, while Ruth disappeared. Which way are you going? Walk to the subway with you. You win, old man. I admire your nerve for facing Aunt Emma. What I wanted to say, 
I hope to thunder you don't think I was in any way responsible for Mrs. Winslow's linking me and Ruth the way they did. Oh, you understand, I admire you, like the devil, for knowing what you want and going after it. I suppose you'll have to convince Ruth yet, but, by Jove, you've convinced me. Glad you had Arthur for an ally. They don't make Kitty seem better. God, if I could have a son like that. I turn off here. Good luck, Erickson. Thanks a lot, Phil. Thanks. Good night, Carl. End of chapter 36